Today's episode will be brought to you by Julia Hampton, CPA PC. Julia and her team are unlike any accountants that you've worked with. Their communication, their individual attention to detail can be the game changer for your business and your personal tax needs. The game changer for them is the personal approach. Julia and everyone that she has working for her, they get to know each and every client on a personal level. They understand all the ins and outs and everything that goes into making their business successful. And on top of that, and we're not just saying this because there are, you know, overlords and sponsors. We're saying it right. it's real. They're involved in the community. They're out there. They are a piece of everything we do around town. So... Contact Julia E. Hampton, CPA PC, today at Julia at Hampton, CPA.net. Put a business partner inside your business. Not everybody so, has your story. No. Not every person that's a teacher has that type of backstory. Nope. So... I guess really kind of what I wanted to delve into there was there is a level of empathy that you can naturally have mm-hmm. for some of the students you see that someone, well, the stereotypical person who grew up and graduated in Lee Summit, we don't think of that has that backstory. Yeah, but I think that I think probably we, more do than we think. I think we could. I think we can throw that stereotypical piece out because I when I go and do trainings, for instance, um, and you know, as you know, Lee Summit's a community that people stay. Uh, there's still so many people that I went to school with that are still in the Lee Summit community and through various opportunities to present and talk about trauma-informed care and things, I've had numerous people that I went to school with walk up and say, Andy, I had no idea. I had no idea. Well, we don't wear a, you know, a, a thing around our neck that says, hey, my A score is six and you know, last night this happened and whatever. We, we learn to hide it. and so. Uh, but the research tells us that you know 60% of adults report having been exposed to at least one significant traumatic event in their childhood. 60%, and that's everywhere. That's universal. Um, and when they and this research has been bore out over and over and over again in state after state after state. So it's not a this isn't an inner city problem or a rural problem or a socioeconomic problem. These things happen at all levels in all areas of society. And so um, so I think people can empathize at some levels but yeah not every teacher's had the experiences I've had and, and I'm happy for that I wouldn't want people to necessarily have gone through that this is Andy Campbell Principal at Summit Ridge Academy. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you are the principal for, oh, do we still call them alternative schools? Is that is that the right language anymore? Yeah, that's the that's the correct language. Um, this is the alternative school for the Lee Summit School District? That's correct. What is, for those of us that don't know, let's just start simple. What is an alternative school? I, it's kind of a hard thing to define, um, and I think in depending on the community you live in, it, it could look different. Um, for the Lee Summit School District, um, the alternative school is a program uh, that allows for 
kids who maybe are struggling in the regular school setting to just have a different look at the school program. Uh, primary function of an alternative or of our alternative school um, still remains credit recovery. Um, and so uh, the majority of our kids, I would say probably 90 to 95% of our kids come to us in credit lag, uh, meaning they're behind on credits working towards that diploma. Um, and so that still remains a huge component of our program. Uh, allowing students to uh, get those credits made up and we've built uh, our program around uh, accelerating the credit earning process but then in addition to that you know we work with students really coming at us with a lot of different uh, things going on some kids struggle with attendance uh, with some discipline issues at their home schools um, you know some mental health issues as well we've started to see uh, an increasing number of students coming to us um, dealing with anxiety and some other things. Obviously our three high schools are relatively large um, and that's just not a environment that some kids uh, do well in and so our program being much smaller, you know, 120 to 130 kids um, makes it a little easier for those kids to navigate this thing called school. You said 120, 130 students here, high, all high school age? Correct? High school and middle school. High school and middle uh, we, do school. Have a, we do have a small middle school population. So what percentage is that roughly, and I probably should have done better research, but what percentage is that roughly of our, of our total middle school, high school population? Wow. Um, I don't, very small, uh, very small percentage. You figure we have probably, oh, I'll ballpark 6,000 high school kids, another, you know, 1,800, maybe 20, 2,200, 2,400 middle school, so 7,000-ish secondary kids, and I have 130 kids. So it's a very small, and those are obviously very rough numbers. Um, it's a very small percentage of that population of kids. Well, we'll backtrack, and, and let's, let's talk about, about you a little bit before we, we really get into the programs okay. here. Um, you, are, you are a Lee Summit grad. You're, you're a Lee correct. Summit guy. You've been at this school for about three years, you told me. Yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about... Uh, about you coming into back to your homeschool to work was that always a goal was that well it um actually it's my second stint um in the lee summit school district um so i uh graduated on parole for a while and they yeah i guess that you you could say that uh, i had to go out and uh, get learned up i guess for lack <laughs> of a better term um so i uh graduated from lee summit high school in 1990 um, when there was only one high school tiger high and uh uh, knew I think all along that I wanted to be an educator. Um, Try to talk myself out of it. You know, you all the conversations about they don't teachers don't get paid enough and this that and the other thing. And but I was raised by my grandparents and who were both educators, and I kind of knew that that was my thing. Um, it also goes back to some very influential people in my life. Um, my fifth and sixth grade teacher, my high school basketball coach, and. Uh, and, and numerous other teachers that I had that I, I just kind of always knew that I wanted to be an educator. What were some of those um, things that kind of pegged that to you? I just saw the value. Um, I struggled in school early on. Um, home life for me was uh, pretty dysfunctional. Um, some various things going on, and, and that kind of leads into some of the trauma-informed care talk that I'm sure we'll have later. Um, but um, so school was very difficult for me. 
um, early on in elementary. Um, I struggled a lot with behavior and attitude and things. I just didn't want to be there. Um, things were not good at home. And what we know is that when things aren't good, at, you know, kids who are loved at home come to school to learn. Kids who aren't loved at home or are struggling at home come to school to be loved. And, and I think I was looking for that. And we moved around a lot and just a lot of things. And it was fifth grade with Mr. Lanou, uh, who uh, was the first uh, not the first, but probably the most significant um, influence on my life as far as really breaking me down and helping me understand what I was capable of. Um, and so that was kind of the turning point for me in education. And so then it reaffirmed that, again, my grandparents being educators, I was around them a lot and ended up moving. It was at about that same time that I started to live with them or be with them a lot more. Um, and uh, so I just, you know, I look back and I was just, uh, the most significant influences in my life just happened to be educators. Um, and so I, I kind of knew, maybe I was predisposed for it, you know, I don't, I don't know, there was something there, but I, I think I kind of always knew that I was going to be a teacher and a coach. I like that you, you, you said the name of your fifth grade teacher, and I, to me that probably should be the goal of every teacher, is that that student, when they're middle-aged or older, can remember their name and that moment in time. Absolutely. You bet. Is that the goal? I think it should be. Um, and uh, what's really fun about Mr. Lanou is that uh, Mr. Lanou subs in my building now here at Summit Ridge. Um, Does he hold things over you from, from uh, long ago? No, not too bad. Not <laughs> too bad. He's, uh, he's like most teachers, he's got a pretty short memory when it comes to the bad things and tends to remember the good stuff. And uh, but, it's, but it's really cool to have him in the building because he was so influential and I get a chance to tell him that. Um, How important is that to you to be able to tell him that, to remind him of, I'm here partly because of the relationship we had as a student teacher? How hard is it? How important is oh, that? Oh, how to important you? is it? Oh, it's. I think it's super important. I think sometimes we forget to th thank those people that have had the biggest influence in our life. Uh, Jeff Miller, I'm sure you know Jeff Miller, Dr. Miller, who just retired um, as HR director. He was a mentor of mine, and he always talked about your uh, board of directors kind of that group of people that you think about in your life that have had that significant impact. And uh, when I, when the first time he talked about that, when I worked for him at Pleasantly Middle School as a teacher, um, it just, that just really stuck with me. And so it's become very important for me in my life to acknowledge those people um, and give that credit. Um, you know, I've since have had a lot of really awesome conversations with, with people because sometimes I think we just take for granted that they know and maybe they don't. And so I think it's important that, you know, that become part of what we do. I mean, and just acknowledging those people who have had such a significant impact on our life. Well, I think I, I want to key on something you just said, and I think that'll kind of help us move, segue into the work you do here at this mm -hmm. school and, and, and your staff does. Um, you just you just keyed on that teachers should have a short memory when it comes to the bad stuff. Is that as hard as it sounds to me, to my mind, because... Well, I'm in the news business, so we see the bad stuff and we talk about the bad stuff a lot, mm -hmm. and it's it's all over, and that's the stuff that gets put on the bulletin boards on Facebook and and all this. So it seems like that would be a very hard thing to rem to remind yourself, or is that just ingrained in in what you do as a teacher? I think it can be challenging. Um, I think for we try to have conversations here and in every building that I've ever been in, um, in a leadership position about getting to know the story of a kid. And I think when you can get to know that story, it makes it a little easier. You, you tend to be able to extend a little more grace. 
um, when you know the backstory. Because what we've what what I've learned and and what I think we've uh, really tried to impress upon people in this building and in in, in district is that um, behavior is a symptom of a bigger issue. Um, and I think if we can begin to look for the bigger issue instead of focusing on the symptom, um, it allows us to extend grace to the kid. Um, it allows us to continue to move in the right direction with a student. Um, and ultimately, the goal should be to correct whatever the issue is, not to just focus on the negative and the punishment. Um, and so I think all of those things combined. But, yeah, is it challenging? You bet. When somebody's in your face or somebody does something that's, a, you know, disrupts the order of your classroom and you know you want to you want to see something done and I think when we can move past that a little bit still hold kids accountable certainly and we and we do that here um, but do it in a different way that doesn't alienate doesn't shame humiliate you know those kind of things then I think that's when we can start to make some real inroads with kids because let's be honest some of some of the kids that we work with don't get a lot of that at home or don't or haven't had haven't been exposed to a lot of that in a lot of ways and so I think sometimes we step in as educators into that you know kind of that pseudo family relationship uh, with kids and and we have that power Um, now sometimes it's whether we choose to use that power or not but but yeah I mean I think is it hard yes Uh, is it important I believe it's vital I have been told by others that you actually make a point of interviewing and meeting with every student before they walk in the door of this school. Is that, is that right? That's correct. Um, that was something that was started by Burt Whaley, my predecessor, the guy who started this program. Um, and I think, um, and there were a lot of amazing things that structures and things that, that were put in place before I ever got here. Uh, but that to me is probably for my, myself personally and my own experience and my own kind of philosophy around it is probably the most one of the most significant things that we do with students. Um, but yeah, any, any student coming new to Summit Ridge comes to an interview, they have to bring a parent or guardian with them. And an interview sounds really formal. It's really ju- all it is is a really nice way to get to begin the process of building the relationship, getting to know the kid, learning that asking story. about the story. Um, and then they get to ask about us. Because I think it's important also that they, um, that we allay fears and anxieties about coming to an alternative school, right? Um, because I think when you walk in the door here, I think the, the immediate response is, okay, this isn't what, what I expected. And usually in a positive way, you know, it's, it looks like a school, it feels like a school, there's, it's not a, it's not a lockup or a penitentiary feel to it at all. And so I think that interview does a lot to kind of set the stage for us to move forward and begin that relationship building. I would assume that a student coming here the first time, there's probably a pretty high anxiety level. Usually. I, mean, I, I just think of my own perspective of absolutely. things. Absolutely. I think there's, I think in general, yeah, I think that's a pretty pretty fair assumption to make that most, and I begin the interview with, tell me what you know about Summit Ridge, or tell me your first impression when you walked in the door, because I really want to know. Um, I think it's important as that we are addressing perception, um, and so that was something that was very important to me. Um, when I took over this program is that we began to, that we continue to, and I don't want to say began because a lot of this stuff started again with Bert, um, that we continued the process of changing the perception around what it means to be at an alternative school. It's not a punishment. It's not a consequence. It's an opportunity. 
um, for a kid who maybe has struggled in other ways. And it allows us as a district, as a, as a staff here at Summit Ridge, to just give kids a different look at school and find out if maybe a different look is what they needed. Um, and I would say uh, our success, you know, and I can speak specifically to the success we've had over the last three years, you know, in the, you know, the number of kids that we've seen success, be successful in the program um, and graduate, which ultimately is that kind of that measurable, tangible thing that we talk about as far as completing high school. You know, we've had 100, over 150 kids graduate from our program, get their high school diploma over the last two years. I mean, I think that speaks for itself right there. That The way you talk, it kind of seems like your, your career is one of these pay-it-forward kind of things. Absolutely. Um, um, so what... You know, let's go. Let's go backward then again. I, I guess I'm, I'm curious as to some of the things that that shaped you toward this, and and I get the impression that's a fun bell. Yeah. <laughs> I I get the impression that that there there is a, a bit of a if I had had this for myself personally, it might have made things better am I reading that right yeah a little bit but I I I would say that a lot of mine is because I had this so you're really recreating so I think in a lot of ways what what I get the opportunity to do almost on a daily basis is recreate all the best you know I've always said as a as a when I became an administrator and one of the main tasks of a building leader um, is to evaluate teachers Um, I've always said that I, if I ever had to go back into a classroom and teach, I would be so much better than I ever was before because I've gotten to see so many amazing teachers do their thing, right? Like things that I had never seen before when I was just worried about my own classroom, focusing on my group of kids. And it's kind of the same. I kind of have that same mindset with this. Um, I, I look back and I remember back to so many good educators that I had in Lee Summit. Um, even when I was struggling at school, it wasn't because the teacher was not good and not doing their job. I had amazing teachers. It was that I wasn't in the right place to do to do some things and it took that whatever it was, I, you know, and again I don't know that I can always put a finger on it other than that very intentional statement of relationship that I had with Mr. Lanou that kind of it finally clicked for me. Um, but I had great teachers even before that. So I look, I, I see it more as things that I replicating some things that I saw. Sure. Are there, are there things that I would never do? Yeah. Um, you know, I saw some stuff too. We all, we've all had those experiences in school because again, it's, it's human beings that we're dealing with, but the pay it forward piece is absolutely correct. Um, I can remember, um, in essence, being told that I would not graduate school, um, graduate high school, um, and uh, that, that seems to be a like it would be a devastating statement uh, for someone to give to you. I think it was initially. Um, it, it reaffirmed for me my distaste and dislike of this that whole thing called school uh, when I was a kid, and and so and then it but so then it took an equally strong positive to kind of shocked me back into understanding that school is extremely important and and again it was a lot of things going on in my life at that time and you know you can't you know you put your finger on several things but the most important thing was um i know that that's something i would never even dream of saying to a kid um and i think i understand now looking back on it why maybe it was said you know to you know trying that shock motivation or whatever it was because i was struggling Uh, not in my experience uh, maybe for someone else, um, it would it would not it is not uh, it is not something that is in my toolbox of things to use. 
Um, I'd rather build a relationship and, and build a kid up and, and do those things because I know that's what worked for me. Um, and I've seen it work hundreds and hundreds of times uh, for kids. Um, but, but yeah, I, 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 feel, I feel an obligation to pay it forward, um, you know, without those and all those people that I've mentioned numerous times. I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And, you know, for a minute there was a, the, the motivation was to ascend. I think, you know, when we, when we struggle and things aren't good and, and, uh, and stuff, how do we prove people wrong? We, we climb as high as we can climb in our chosen profession, right? So for me in education, that was, oh, you got to be a, you've got to become a assistant principal and then a principal, and then you got to go to central office and then you got to become a superintendent. You got to be running the whole show. Um, and it was about, it was probably three or four years ago, and then it really hit me hard when I went through training for trauma-informed care. Um, none of that matters anymore. Um, I know my why. I know why, you know, I was bitter for a long time about family stuff, and, you know, my grandfather always used to tell me, and I never it never made sense to me um, for the longest time, but he would always say, you know, being bitter and angry at people is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. The only person it affects is you, and it impacts everything that you do. And so I had to get over that. I had to get past some things, and I now am not bitter about my past experience. I almost see it as kind of, and this will sound weird, but kind of as a gift, especially doing what I do when I can sit in a room with a kid and I can talk real about things maybe not being great at home or struggling in school or whatever it is. That's a real conversation because I've been there, and I understand maybe at a level that others don't because of my experiences. And so Mark Twain said the two greatest days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. Um, and I absolutely, that's, a, that's kind of like, a, like a, a quote, one of my favorite quotes, kind of a theme for me is, I know my why now. I'm, I'm perfectly happy and content doing exactly the work that I get to do every day at Summit Ridge Academy, working with some of the coolest kids that you would ever meet but have, that have struggled um, in school for a, a hundred different reasons. This episode of Community Voices is brought to you by Stewie McBrews, where you're always reminded to never eat more than you can lift. Except the wings, burgers, tacos. <laughs> I think that's a, a pretty poignant thing to admit in a public forum, that the issues that you were dealing with in grade school, middle school, and high school you were still trying to prove people wrong mm-hmm. as a middle-aged professional mm-hmm. in recent memory, and you just you just worked through it. And I think that's I think that's important that, that you to realize that you're laying foundations for kids now to work through things as they go, go through life, and it's more than just the beyond things that those of us that aren't educators, it's beyond that reading, writing, arithmetic stuff. You bet. And, and so I'm curious, is there, when you go to college to be a teacher, when you go to teacher school, mm-hmm. are you trained for the stuff that's beyond the academics? I mean, I, I, and we talked a little bit about this, this perception before we hit the record button, that there's, there's, there's more to it, but we don't always, always see it. And so... I guess I, 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 I'm curious how you learn or how you can explain to those of us that don't know that there's more to educating than just that, just those subjects. 
And I, it was a horrible question, but I'm going to ask no, you to answer okay. it anyway. That's okay. I, I mean, I think it's something that you figure out. Do you, do you get specific training on all that stuff? No. I can remember um, thinking to myself when I was doing my student teaching, like, why in the world did they not tell me about this? Um, or whatever. But I think, but I don't think you can. It kind of goes back to, again, that conversation we were having before. Can, you, can't, you can't have a plan for everything. What you want is to be well-rounded enough and have a, have a good enough understanding that you're able to adjust and adapt to situations that come up. Um, and so I think that's the same thing there. I mean, I learned you know, so much practical, real information when I did my student teaching. And so I think that's why you do student teaching, right? It, it, you, know, you, can, you can look at a situation in a book, um, but that's only going to go so far. But then when you actually have to practically apply it, and adjust on the fly and adapt and do all the things that you have to do because, you know, a kid comes in and this situation's happened and you, you're like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Um, I think that's the whole point of it. And so and then I think you're you're always learning and growing throughout your career. You know, I was 10 years in a classroom um, and I was obviously better in year 10 than I was in year one. And that I mean, I think that's that that should be the goal. And and then you go on and are you ready to move on from the classroom into administrator role? I don't know that you can do things to prepare yourself, but until you actually sit behind the desk every day and work through the situations and stuff. So, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a constant learning and growing process. Um, and you hope that maybe you grow personally too, um, that it's not just a professional thing that we're growing, that we're, you know, we're put in situations and hopefully we get better as professionals and people. Um, from dealing with those things. And that's kind of what happened to me. Uh, you know, that was that, it was that, you know, midlife kind of like realization getting hit upside the head with, man, what are you doing? You're focusing on all the wrong things. And not everybody so, has your story. No, not every person that's a teacher has that type of backstory. Nope. So I guess really kind of what I wanted to delve into there was there is a level of empathy that you can naturally have Mm -hmm. for some of the students you see that someone, well, the stereotypical person who grew up and graduated in Lee Summit, we don't think of that has that backstory. Yeah, but I think that I think probably more do than we think. I think we could I think we can throw that stereotypical piece out because I when I go and do trainings, for instance, um, and, you know, as you know, Lee Summit's a community that people stay. Uh, there's still so many people that I went to school with that are still in the Lee Summit community and through various opportunities to present and talk about trauma-informed care and things. I've had numerous people that I went to school with walk up and say, Andy, I had no idea. I had no idea. Well, we don't wear a, you know, a, a thing around our neck that says, hey, my A score is six and you know, last night this happened and whatever. We, we learn to hide it. And so... Uh, but the research tells us that you know 60% of adults report having been exposed to at least one significant traumatic event in their childhood. 60%, and that's everywhere. That's universal. Um, and when they and this research has been bore out over and over and over again in state after state after state. So it's not a this isn't an inner city problem or a rural problem or a socioeconomic problem. These things happen at all levels in all areas of society. And so um, so I think. People can empathize at some levels, but yeah, not every teacher's had the experiences I've had, and, and I'm happy for that. I wouldn't want people to necessarily have gone through that, and I think they can find ways to empathize in other ways. Because um, I, I mean, again, I've had teachers that, you know, again, I I don't want to assume, but you know, that were great teachers that 
I don't think probably went through the stuff that I was going through and weren't able to empathize with me on that level, but then could do things other ways. And so I think it's about finding your niche and finding your way to connect. I think that's a gift. You want to talk about some of those unspoken things, you know, I think that's the gift of, of good educators is the ability to connect with kids. Well, well, let's use this then to move. You've mentioned it a lot, and we haven't actually said what it is. So, okay. so what is trauma-informed care? So trauma-informed care is a model that's been around actually for a while um, and predominantly used in the mental health field. Um, and basically what trauma-informed care is, is it's a recognition of the, of the prevalence and the impact of trauma on a person in their life. Um, first and foremost Um, and then what it attempts to do is using that knowledge change the environmental factors that allow for a person to have to experience uh, success um, not re-traumatize them by you know by policies or procedures that are in place and things like that so it's kind of a model that was a that's been around again for a while Um, it's just recently starting to gain a lot of momentum in schools and it needs to in my opinion um, so that's really kind of what trauma-informed care is. It's, it's kind of a, a, mo- a model of how to create an environment where people who have been exposed to trauma can thrive and not be re-traumatized. Let's, I want to talk a little bit about trauma itself, that word. Mm-hmm. Because you use that word, and most of us, and, and, and I'm just going to say my brain, <laughs> comes up with the most horrific things I can think of that would happen to a kid. Sure. But it's more than that. It is more than that. It, you, you know, so, so there's kind of two schools of thought on that. When you, when you think about, like, the research that's been done and when they look at, you know, ACEs, uh, the ACEs study, which was probably, well, is the... Tell us a little bit of what that is. Yeah, the, so the ACEs study was done by, in a, it was a joint effort between um, Kaiser Permanente and the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Felitti and Dr. Onda, uh, basically sought to find is there a connection between people being exposed to ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences, and long-range health outcomes. Um, and so what they did is they, they kind of defined for the purpose of study uh, an original list of 10 ACEs, which included physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect, um, having, an inca- having a family member incarcerated, um, living in a home with uh, substance abuse, uh, living in a home with mental health, uh, somebody that had mental health issues, um, living in a dangerous neighborhood, being exposed to violence, those kind of things. So, so when you say extreme, yes, kind of an extreme. And they, for the purpose of doing that study, that's what they did. And they sent out a survey to you know, around just under 18,000 people, adults, and said, you know, ask a series of questions. And what they were getting at was how many of those things have you been exposed to in your life? Well, then they compared the results of that to then health outcomes, uh, because we're talking about adults. So we've got health records and we can go back and look at what have they been exposed to and so on and so forth. And they began to draw some fairly significant conclusions from that, that, um, that, that ACEs and, and exposure to trauma can, if, if, gone unchecked um, lead to significant health impairments in in adulthood. For instance, you know, uh, people with an ACE score of four are four times more likely to develop COPD, have a much higher rate of substance abuse issues. Um, You know, I think with an ACE score of five or more, significantly higher incidence of cancer and heart disease. 
um, in addition to all of the mental health things and the substance abuse things that go along with that. And so, and it makes sense if you think about it, um, because when we're exposed to those things, it activates our fight or flight response. Our fight or flight response changes our body chemistry. And so when we live in an environment where we're exposed to those things regularly, it's changing our body chemistry and that's going to have long-term impacts. And so I think that's the, in a, in a very small nutshell, that's kind of the, the significance of that ACEs study. Um, that was done there and so but to go back to your question about trauma so trauma is really defined as anything that pushes us outside of our ability to cope so pushes us past our coping mechanisms for instance and so what might be traumatic to you might not be traumatic to me because my coping mechanisms are more more developed or enhanced or I have a better support network or there's a number of factors so this goes back that. to that so, ability to empathize and see beyond Right. And so what we have to do, that's why it's so important to get to know the story, because then we can begin to say, okay, well, what might look normal for this kid is not going to look normal for this kid because they don't have this support system or they've been exposed multiple times to this or they're living in an environment. Uh, there's a there's a TED talk that uh, was done by uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris and it's phenomenal. I would recommend anybody look it up if you want to know more about ACEs and the impact. And she comes at it from a medical perspective. She's an MD. And she gives the example of how the impact of what it could be like of a grizzly bear. And imagine, you know, if you're walking through the woods and on a hike or whatever, and a grizzly bear pops out, your fight or flight response kicks in and your heart beats faster and your pupils dilate and all the things that happen when we go into fight or flight. And that's a good thing in that moment, right? It, it helps keeps us alive. It prepares us to either fight the bear or run from the bear, whatever is going to keep us most safe. But imagine when you live with the grizzly bear every day, when you're constantly in the presence of the grizzly bear, whatever that is, um, it's going to cause problems. It's going to not allow you to develop in a normal fashion. And so it's going to, and that's going to lead to things down the road. And so I think that's the significance of, of this work is beginning to recognize that a lot of our kids are dealing with these things. A lot of our adults are dealing with these things. And we need to begin to become a little bit more aware of that and begin to think about how we're going to change our practice, whether it's in schools, whether it's in the home, whether it's at business, whether it's just in the community, to really address that and come at that from a different level. Because on the flip side of that, uh, Bruce Perry, who's one of the leading researchers in the field, um, uh, was on 60 Minutes with Oprah um, about... uh, maybe about two months ago, talking about this. And it's, you know, he talks about changing the question from what's wrong with you to what's happened to you. Um, it's about reframing and restructuring things. But he also says that the single greatest thing that we can do to counteract the effects of trauma are, are healthy, loving relationships. It, gets all, it goes all the way back to that. We can, we can counteract years and years of the, the impact of trauma with love and relationship. How much of it really goes back to the beginning of this, this conversation we've had about learning to communicate the story? Well, I think it's, I mean, I think that's Is that huge. everything? I think that's huge. I mean, it's such a big part because, I, again, it goes, I think when we can learn to do that, it, I guess that would be the outward appearance of healing, right? It, it's when we stop being bitter about our situation. It's when we stop using our situation as an excuse for why we're not able to do things and it allows us to embrace that. Um, Is it learning to answer that question, what has happened to me? I think in a way, yeah. 
because um, not every kid can do that. Tell me what's happened to you. I don't want to talk about it. That's a very typical response. Why? Well, they're not ready to talk about it yet. And so that's where persistence and that relationship become key because why, why, would, you, why would you not talk about what's happened to you in your life? Well, you don't trust the person that you're talking to. There's no relationship there. You've been, you know, when you've talked about it in the past, you've been made fun of. You've been, it's been held against you, a variety of things. And so it's about that reestablishment of trust. And so when you can get a kid comfortable enough to begin to tell the story, then I, in my opinion, I think that's what, that's a sure sign that you're making headway and you're beginning to build that relationship because that's not something that people just talk about naturally. Um, How do all the mer- bad things that have happened to them. How do you merge that with academics? Because again, that's not something that those of us outside the field really, I, I have trouble understanding that of how you, I, I understand what you're doing on this side uh-huh. and I understand the academic side, but how do, you, how do you do both of those in the same building and what do you, you get them for six and a half hours a day, seven hours a day? Yeah, about seven hours a day. I think it becomes, I think it just becomes ingrained in what you do. Um, and I think the, that relational piece, see, I, I believe you have to reach the heart before you reach the head or to use another famous quote from that we've always heard, you know, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. You know, you can say it however you want. Bottom line, it boils down to relationship. And I would, when I, when I'm confronted with the question of how do you have, you don't have time to do all that. And my response is, no, I don't think we have time not to do it. Because at the end of the day, I can have the best curriculum, I can have the best things in place, and if I've got a kid who's not right, is dysregulated, isn't in a good place, is struggling with all these other things, curriculum isn't going to matter because they're never going to get to it. They're going to always have the excuse to not do the work. And so I think the work that we have the ability to do here at Summit Ridge because of our size, um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, this, this work happens in every school. Um, ours is just a because of our number of kids, it's a little bit more focused. Um, and we are working with kids that we know have struggled in school. And so th- there's, a ver- there's an intentionality to the work that we do around that. Um, we are able to blend that relational piece and that work in with then getting them to do, hey, we're doing this because ultimately this is what we need to get you to the place where you can get that class pass so that we can you can earn credit so that you can get to diploma so it's it kind of all merges together um but we do have things here at summit ridge that we are able to do um from a facility standpoint from a staffing standpoint where we can begin to address some of those things in the hope that we can as we work with the kid and begin to help them heal some of that stuff that then they're going to be able to turn more of their attention and devote more of their effort and their energy to the academic side of things um does it work with every kid no Uh, but there is no universal thing for every kid. Do you and that, feel like you're successful? I think in the yeah, yes, yeah, very much so. Um, you know, we've we've again seen a lot of success over the last couple of years um, in our program. We've seen in general. So you know, again, as you look at data, you always have to have data to back up what you're doing. And so what we decided to do because we believe that we had to change that culture around around discipline and and how we handled kids when they were making poor choices. Uh, so that was the first thing we tackled, and what we've seen over the last, in essence, three years is about a about a nine about an eighty eight to ninety percent reduction in overall discipline in our building. Um, we've seen our our average daily attendance ADA go up um, slowly, and then this year we took a five percent jump. We were up over eighty at eighty two percent ADA. You know, historically we've been in the in the mid to low seventies with ADA because again our kids one of the byproducts of not loving school is you don't go. 
Um, and so we've just really worked hard to convince kids that being here is a good place to be and that if you'll show up every day, I tell kids all the time, if you will grace our door with your shadow, uh, we're going to roll up our sleeves and go to work with you. Um, and so we're slowly making positive progress in that regard. Um, and, you know, the I guess the ultimate test is the number of kids who we can help get to their diploma. Um, and we've had over 150 of those in the last two years. Um, so, yeah, do I think it works? Yeah, I think it does. And then when I ask students to write statements and about their experience at Summit Ridge and, and things, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's humbling uh, to know that you have had an opportunity, you've been given an opportunity to have that kind of an impact with a kid um, in our setting. So, Well, you just mentioned a little bit ago, you, you know, you, you had your own kind of epiphany moment. Mm-hmm three or four years ago and that, and then you just gave us a lot of a lot of good statistics mm-hmm. so how do you feel about your story your story now well like I said I kind of own it um, I almost feel like it was a gift um, in a way and I know that sounds weird uh, we'll, we'll not sound, sure that it does we'll sound weird to some you know to say oh, you went through all this stuff and you struggled and you had all these things happen to you and you're calling that a gift yeah I believe it was a gift because again it gave me the ability to it gave me the ability to see kids at, see kids differently. Um, I put on a different pair of lenses uh, to look at kids, and I believe when you look at kids differently, you see different kids. And so a lot of times it's about that perception and how we're going to look at kids. Um, and so, no, I absolutely own my story now, um, and I use my story to push this forward. Um, so when given an opportunity to present and talk about trauma-informed care, my story becomes part of that. Um, and especially in our community here in Lee Summit, because I want people to know that this stuff happens, um, that, you know, that, you know, sometimes we have to embrace the fact that some of this stuff is going on in our community, um, and that we need to be willing to embrace that and put things in place, uh, to begin to change the conversation around some of those things. It's, um, I think when, when we know better, we're obligated to do better. Um, I know better because um, I've lived it. Um, and if I can help other people who maybe haven't lived it or haven't lived here long enough to have seen it, because um, we know we get a lot of people who move in here because of our schools and because of our community and because of just what an amazing place Lee Summit is where I'm raising my family um, and I wouldn't dream of raising them anywhere else. Um, but with that comes the obligation to make it the best place that we can possibly make it. And so if my story helps with that, then so be it. Uh, that that was the that that's my that's my why, um, and why I do the work that I do. Well, Andy, I thank you for telling us a little of your story mm-hmm. and the story that's ongoing here. And I'm sure that this will probably be the, just the first of some of these conversations we're going to have in the community. So thank you. Absolutely, thank you for the opportunity. talk to people about shopping local the importance of shopping local here's one great reason about shopping local is that you know the people you're doing business with they're your friends they're your neighbors they're people you go to church with people you hang out with there's no better example of that than today's sponsor bunch of blinds this local company is always making themselves available to help the greater community. Just two weeks ago, they collected more than two bucketfuls of supplies for cold water of Lee Summit's annual back to school drive. Hey, not only are they great people in the community, but they also are great at their business. 
So when you need blinds or shades for your windows, interior decorating, they've got bedding, they've got headboards, all sorts of stuff. And the coolest thing, we always talk about this one, they even have some blinds that you can control with apps on your phone or with your voice to the Alexa or the Google. They are super cool. That is cool. Hey, check them out right in the heart of our city in downtown Lee Summit. Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. 239 Southeast Main Street. You have been listening to Community Voices, a weekly podcast celebrating the individuals who make our community. Catch the show each Monday at linktoleesummit.com or subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Do you have an interesting story? Does your neighbor, teacher, classmate, or friend? Let us know about it. Connect with us at linktoleesummit.com or through Facebook or Instagram at linktoleesummit.com.